This morning, the sermon entitled this morning is entitled Wounded Hearts Restored. Wounded Hearts Restored. And I invite you to turn with me to our opening text in Matthew chapter 19, Matthew chapter 19, verse 3 to 8. Matthew chapter 19, starting verse 3 is our opening text. We've been on a journey here. And our journey has been on relationships, remember? This is number 12. And um, it's actually been a blessing to me. The Lord has been really uh, speaking to me and healing me as I've been going through this series, actually. And we're on our last sermon topic, which is entitled, Wounded Hearts Restored. How many of you have ever experienced the wounding of the heart through someone who you once cared for? Think about it. Don't have to raise your hands. <laughs> How many of you have been wounded and hurt by someone close who cared for you too? Maybe it was your first love breaking up with you when you were only a teenager. Maybe it was your fiancé leaving you for your so-called good friend. Or maybe it was a secret love affair accompanied with all its lies from your ex-spouse. Whatever may have been the case, most of us have probably felt the searing pain that arose when we realized that we have been left hurt and betrayed. But the real problem is not when you're going through those hard times of hurt being wounded, pain, and suffering. The real problem starts when we marry the perfect, perfect person God designed for us to marry, that soulmate that we talked about, and then we allow our past to enter into our present relationship. That's where the real problem begins. You see, because we have been hurt in the past, we naturally put up protective barriers around our hearts so that we won't be hurt again. Ever heard that before? Never done it before. I have. And when we do this, we end up wrecking our current relationships, all our relationships, but especially our probably our spouse or our boyfriend, our girlfriend, or even our children, our parents, or friends, whatever it may be. For the barrier which we once designed to protect us, we put all around our hearts to protect us, is the same barrier which ends up hurting us. Let me say that again. This very same barrier that we put up to protect our hearts is the very same barrier that is put up that ends up hurting us. This is you. They know that there is hope for you found only in the Word of God this morning. If you believe that, let me hear you say amen. amen. For only God's Word can guide us from dark despair to new hope. Only God's word can transform us from resentful bitterness to emotional freedom. Only God's word can move us from protective detachment to deeper connection with our soulmate. Whatever may be your situation this morning, your wounded heart can only be restored once again through the creative power of God's word this morning. Amen? Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. 
And as we open it, may it come alive, speak to us, and heal it this, this morning. Is our humble prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we get into the healing part, let's look at the marriage part of, part of it all. Let's look at marriage and divorce. Why did God even allow divorce? Matthew chapter 19, verse 3 to 8. Look what the Bible says. The Pharisees also came to him, Jesus, tempting him and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away or divorce his wife for every cause? Can we just divorce him? Our wives or our husbands for just any cause. Now the Bible says, And he answered and said unto him, Notice what the Bible says, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and they shall twain be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. So in other words, marriage, Jesus said, marriage is forever. Then they said unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put it away? Why did Moses allow us to divorce them? And Jesus said unto them, Moses, because of the what? Hardness of your hearts suffered you to put away or divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was what? Not so. So the Word of God says that marriage was meant to be as long till death do us part. That's when mar- how long marriage was supposed to last. And that's why Malachi 2.16 it says that God hates putting away or God hates divorce. It was not in God's original design that we were to get into divorces. Divorce court. God hates divorce and so should we. Amen? Amen. Not only does it destroy and bring hurts and pain, but it destroys everyone that's connected. Children, family, friends, everyone is affected. Turn to the chapter before, Matthew 18, 18. What happens in heaven when you bind or loose things here on this earth? Matthew 18, 18. Notice what the Bible says. What happens in heaven when you bind things or loose things here on this earth? Notice what the Bible says. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound where? In heaven. What you bind here is bound up in heaven. Then it says here, whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven heaven. If what we bind on this earth is based upon biblical principles, the books of heaven also records the very same thing. So what we record here on this earth is recorded up in heaven. Same is true as whatever we loose. So if you're married in the books here on this earth, and it's based upon biblical principles, you are recorded also and bounded in the books up there in heaven. And if you divorce in the books here on this earth, you're also up there in heaven. It records the divorce also there in heaven. But only if it's based upon biblical principles. For example, if you were to marry someone, say you're married already, and then somehow you got it past the state department of health and you were able to marry another person and they didn't catch it. Though you're married to the second person while you're still married to another person and they didn't catch it, are you registered in the books of heaven married to that second person, that new person? No, because it goes against the word of God of marrying just one person. 
even if the state says you are. So you see that principle? Okay, now turn to Matthew chapter 19, verse 9. What is the only reason that God gives as the grounds for divorce? Matthew chapter 19, verse 9. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says in the next chapter, And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away or divorce his wife, except it be for what? Fornication, and shall marry another, commits, what's that word? Adultery. And whosoever marry her which is put away does commit adultery. So the Bible is saying here that the only reason we're to get divorced from our spouse is because of unfaithfulness. My wife was unfaithful. She cheated on me. She slept with another man. The only reason I, she can get divorced from me if I cheated on her, if I slept with another woman. So the only way is because of unfaithfulness according to the word of God. And it says here that if you were to get a divorce and you, your wife didn't cheat on you, no one cheated, you still got a divorce. And the Bible says if either one of them, if the husband was to marry again, even though he got a divorce in the books in the state of Hawaii, the Department of Health, but I was to marry someone else, the Bible says when I marry someone else, I have committed adultery. And if my wife goes and marries someone else and the cause was not adultery, then she commits adultery. Now the Bible does say, we know in the Bible that it says, at our sins of ignorance, God what? Winks. In other words, if you didn't know, you are not held accountable for what you do not know. Right? If you did not know, you're not held accountable. So whatever happened in the past and you didn't know, that's the past. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. But now we know, we do know. <laughs> and because you do know and you study the word of God, you're held accountable. Amen. And I'm held accountable. So we do know now. I know in Hawaii, there's something called a divorce that is called no-fault divorce. In other words, you don't even have to have it's actually called no-fault, like no-fault insurance. You actually, you don't have to have any reason. You don't have to tell the judge. Now, certain states, you go out there, you have to have a, come up with a reason. You got to come up with a, um, why you're getting divorced. And they fight for control over the property. But Hawaii, it's 50-50, basically. That's how it is. And there's no reason, you have to give a reason why you can just get a divorce if you just want to get a divorce. Hawaii is very um, lean in that area. So, but according to the Bible, you can't just get a divorce for any reason. That's why it makes it easy to get a divorce, but not according to the Word of God, what is true. Now, this is the other balance. If you do feel that your life is threatened, and if you do feel that you're going to be abused either physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually, you still can be separated. There's nothing wrong with being separated. You may be separated for the rest of your days from that person because of life-threatening or spiritual abuse or emotion. You can be separated. But nevertheless, according to the Word of God, we are not allowed to get a divorce and to remarry, according to the Word of God. Look at this quote here in the, in the, in the yellow paper from Evanist Home. It says, A woman may be legally divorced from her husband by the laws of the land, and yet not divorce in the sight of God and according to the higher law. So you may get past it on this law and the laws of the land here, but not according to the higher law in heaven. There's only one sin, which is what? 
adultery which can place the husband or wife in a position where they can be free from the marriage vow in the sight of God. Although the laws of the land may grant a divorce, yet they are husband and wife still in the Bible light according to the laws of God, following what the Word of God has already been saying. Now we lay this foundation. Now we can go to the story of Hosea. Turn me to Hosea chapter 2, verse 1 to 2. Hosea chapter 2, verse 1 to 2. Facing reality. What did Hosea finally realize? Now, Hosea was counseled to marry this woman. And she was an adulterous woman. She was a woman who cheated on him all the time and was hurting him. And he allowed it to go on for a long time. Hosea chapter 2, verse 1 to 2. But what did Hosea finally have to realize and come to grips with? Notice what the Bible says in 2, verse 1 to 2. The Bible says, Hosea is saying, Say unto your brethren, Ami, and to your sisters, Ruhamah. He's talking to his children. He says, Children, plead with your mother. Plead, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts. Hosea had to come to the grips with the reality that his wife was actually having affairs with other men. See, sometimes I meet people out there, people don't come to the grips of the reality that their spouse is cheating on them, has cheated on them. They live in a state of denial that is not really happening or I'm just going to ignore it like it, and just let it go on and on and on and be like a cancer within the marriage. We know when that you're betrayed, you feel angry, you feel crushed, deeply wounded. You also may have lost that picture you had of your perfect marriage and you found out that your spouse cheated on you. It's not the same, but in another sense, really you haven't lost that much. Why? Because when you find out your spouse cheats on you, you find out that your marriage wasn't what it really appeared to be. Think about it. You have been living in a false world. And had it not been for the revelation of your spouse's sin, you might have blindly gone through your whole life living in a false reality. You will, not, you will never experience the fullness of of the love that God intended for you to experience in your relationship if you had not been revealed the true condition of your marriage, right? You'd be living in a false security, a false reality, thinking everything was good when really it wasn't. And by you finding out, it was a blessing that you found out. Amen? And even though the revelation hurt, the Lord has actually proven to you his undying love for you by exposing your spouse's sin. Amen? Everything is in the light now. You're no longer guessing what's going on and you know exactly where you are in regards to your marriage. Now is the time to thank God for the revelation, knowing that He who revealed that sin to you of your spouse will also reveal to you the path of restoration. God is faithful and loves you too much to leave you where you are at this point of time. Amen? 
What did Hosea learn through this whole dreadful ordeal of finding his wife sleeping with other men, committing affairs? Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. What did Hosea learn? What did he learn? How did he, what did he get out of his wife cheating on him? Let's see what it says. Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet, love a woman beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love flagons of wine. Hosea learned to love and forgive the very person who had mistreated him. In other words, out of this whole horrible experience that Hosea went through, there came out good. Hosea had been blessed by the whole experience. He became a man who was able to love with an everlasting love. And while you may not feel good about what has happened, this event could bring to you one of the most hopeful times in your life. The fact that your spouse cheating you, your boyfriend or girlfriend cheating you, your fiancé left you for someone else, now is your chance to live out the truth that all things work together for good to those who love God. Amen? Out of a horrible experience, comes out good. In college, when I was going to school in the mainland, at that time I had a serious girlfriend in whom we were probably going to get married. We dated for several years. She ended up cheating on me with one of my good friends, one of my best friends. And added to all of this, there were the many lies that accompanied accompanied her unfaithfulness. You know how that goes. I was crushed. I was angry. I was wounded. I was hurt. There are many other things going on at that very same time that while this was going on, I, I, I just was very close to this losing it because all these things were going on. But all of this terrible, horrible experience, beloved, that came out good. First of all, it was through this relationship going bad that I came to reality that this was not the woman I would like to spend the rest of my life with. Amen? Amen. Number two, on top of that, the suffering and pain that I went through, it's probably the worst, the hardest time I went through my life, the second part, tied with number, another part. The pain that I went through was the very means that God used to turn me to Him. And as I look back, I praise God that, as I look back, I praise God that she did cheat on me. Amen. And I now realize that if she did not cheat on me, I would never have turned to the Lord. Never. God knows what He is doing. For one of the hardest times in my life actually turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to me. Amen? I would not be standing here preaching unless I went through the hard times. I know I wouldn't. I was too caught up in myself and me and I and selfishness and meism. And God had to break me to humble me. 
and put me down in order for me to finally when I'm down, I'm able to look up and see him. Is that how human nature is? Sometimes we have to be broken in order to look up. Sometimes we have to be flat on the back before we're able to look up. That's what God wants us, all of us here this morning. But there's a path to restoration. What did Hosea then do? He learned something, but what did he actually do? Hosea chapter 3, verse 2. Look at the next verse it says. The Bible says in verse 2, So, he's going to love a woman, his wife, who cheated on him. And what the Bible says in verse 2, So, I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver for a homer of barley and a half homer of barley. Apparently, she had been wasted away in a life of sin. That here she was on the blocks of slavery, selling her body. No one wanting her. The price of a slave in those days were 30 pieces of silver. But she wasn't even worth that much. At once, she was beautiful, happy, joyful, loving life, looking the whole world is ahead of her. Can you imagine that? And now there she is on this block, a slave, not even worth half the price of what a slave is worth. And here comes her husband. The man she had disgraced, the man she had hurt, the man she had put so much pains and wounds upon was searching for her. And he came to the blocks, the slavery blocks, and he came to her and he went up to her and he said, and then bidding for her, he bids not even half the word what a slave is worth, and he, and he buys her back. Love is not only talk, but love is action, amen? He's willing to love her back. Hosea not only said he loved his wife, but he also showed that he loved his wife by opening up himself to his wife once again. Even though there was nothing to base the trust upon, even though he had no reason to trust her again, he still opened up his heart to her once again. Are you able to trust again like that? After we've been hurt so many times by so many people in our lives, by our family, our father, our mother, our brothers, our sisters, our husbands, our wives, our boyfriends, our girlfriends, all the hurt and pains that we live, and the older we get, the more of these we've accumulated over the years. We put protective barriers around our hearts. And my question this morning, are you able to trust again like that? What is your Christianity made up this morning behind all of those Bible studies, all of the church attendance, and all of those potlucks you attended? (laughs) Are you able to live out what is the essence of Christianity here this morning? You know, research shows that it takes an average of three to five years to heal from a broken heart. Three to five years. And sometimes it even takes longer, right? Depends on who it is. Now, three to five years can be a long time if you're 21 years old and thinking, well, five years, I'm going to be 26 before I overcome this one person. And how many of us had more than one relationship, right? Can you imagine some of us who had five, ten relationships? That's 50 years, right? <laughs> That's a long time. Three to five years. Sometimes it's even longer from being hurt 
wounded and broken. But beloved, I got good news for you this morning. With the Lord, you can heal much more faster than what the statistics say this morning. Amen? Amen. God can cure things and heal things faster than what statistics say this morning. I know that is true this morning. So beloved, why don't you live the gospel? Maybe your spouse was someone who's been hurt their whole lives. Maybe your spouse has been mistreated or cheated on in the past before you even got married. Maybe your spouse... Your boyfriend or girlfriend never even knew what it's like to be in a trusting relationship. We could actually trust the other partner. So, beloved, why don't you maybe reveal this morning to your spouse what she'd probably never encountered in her life, which is trust. Why don't you be that faithful person your spouse probably never experienced to the grace of God? Why don't you be that trustworthy person that your spouse never had this morning? Now, what did Hosea require of his wife? Look at the next verse. This is a crucial text. Hosea chapter 3, verse 3. Notice what it says. So he's going to call her back. Now, this is great love. This is calling her back. But notice the condition that Hosea places upon his wife. Now, this is going to shatter some of our thinking because I heard this philosophy many times. But let's see what the Bible says about the real way to deal with an adulterous person. The Bible says, And I said to her, notice what Hosea said to his wife, who is adulterous. He brought her back, but notice what he said. You shall abide for me many days. You will not play the harlot. You shall not be for another man. So will I also be for thee. Do you catch that? When Hosea took Gomer back, Hosea required Gomer to put away her sins. He didn't take her back without a referendum. She had to change if she wanted to stay with him. In other words, it is not biblical. When we counsel people, we tell people to just take back their adulterous spouse no matter what they do. Even if they continue to sin, even if they are still committing adultery, it is not biblical. You see, your adulterous spouse needs to accept the fact that she sinned and to, needs to repent before you take them back. You must be separate from other men. You must not sleep with any other men. You must not be in any more adulterous affairs anymore. You must be, there must be a period of time where we can prove ourselves to each other, that we can be loyal and trustworthy and faithful to one another before this relationship can truly be restored. Yes, I take an initiative. I brought you back. We're in a relationship. But yet, you can't continue on in your sexual adulterous affairs. There was a condition that Hosea placed upon her. And she passed the test. You see, your spouse destroyed something that was very real. Your trust in her or him. They demolished it and there will be no oneness or intimacy until trust returns because trust is the basis of all relationships. If you cannot trust your, rela- your spouse, there is true, no true oneness in your relationship. It is envy or jealousy or any of those things. No matter how desperately you want it, you cannot create trust on your own for trust always requires two ingredients. You know, you're making something like a drink or some kind of dish. It always requires two ingredients. Number one, 
You must learn to trust again. You must learn to trust again. And number two, your spouse must become trustworthy himself or herself. These two things is non-negotiable. It must happen on both sides. Yes, she may become more trustworthy, but you also must be willing to trust again. Take down those protective barriers around your heart and trust again. And yes, you may become more trusting and trust again, but yet your spouse or your fiancé must become trustworthy. Trust is the ultimate oneness. You see, I can choose to love my wife simply by choosing to do so, no matter how I'm treated. I can choose to forgive my wife, even if I'm never asked to forgive. I can choose to commit my heart faithfully to my spouse and submit, no matter how adulterous her heart may grow in return. But I can never fully trust her unless there's a full confidence in my spouse's faithfulness. Amen? And the only thing that can bring that confidence is her consistent, faithful actions. In my relationship with my wife, I feel secure for two reasons. Number one, God has given me a new heart. And this old heart that has been wounded so many times by bad relationships in my past, God has given me a heart of flesh and broken down that barrier and set me free that I can learn that if God is by His grace has taught me how to love freely again, how to trust all over once again. But not only that, but God's grace, not only is He taken away and, you know, in our relationship, there's no one controlling or being jealous or overprotective. It's not only because God gave me a new heart, because it's also because I am married to a woman who is completely trustworthy. It makes a difference, beloved. It goes both ways. Not only am I trusting because of my new heart, but I know that I can trust my wife because she is trustworthy in how she behaves and acts. What happens when we come overcome an evil addiction? Turn to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verse 43 to 45. Matthew chapter 12, verse 43 to 45. This is about addiction, evil spirits and demons and addictions. Notice what the Bible says. Matthew chapter 12, verse 43 to 45. When the unclean spirit, the demon, is gone out of a man, he walks through dry places seeking rest. So, if you've been delivered from addiction or evil spirit or bad, whatever it may be, evil and find another evil spirit leaves you, and it goes and it wanders around. That's what it says in verse 44. Then he says, I will return into my house, for whence I came out. And when, he's, when he has come, he finds it empty, swept, and garnished. In other words, he's walking around, roaming around. So you, you overcame an addiction, and the demon left, the evil spirit left. And, by the way, beloved, our hearts was made to be the living temple or the house of the living God. Amen? The very void in the chambers of our hearts and our lives was meant for God to dwell there, for God to live in our house. That's, 
That's who it was meant for. My heart was meant for God to live within it. Your heart was meant for God to live within your heart, right? That's the whole purpose. So when we have a demon in, he's taking the place of God instead. But he says, when a demon leaves, he says, I have no place to go. So he comes back to your same life and he's checking out, okay, how is he doing? Is he filled with God's presence or is it still empty? Did he overcome his addiction and not fill the void with God? Or did he fill it with God is the question. So he comes back to your house. And then it says he finds it swept and clean and empty. So he realized, wait a minute. He, yes, he got rid of my addiction, but he didn't allow God to come and fill the empty void that I wants to fill in his home, in his heart. And that's what it says in 45. Then goed he and takes with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall be unto this wicked generation. When we know so much truth, and we're living it, and we come to the point that we leave the Lord, and we come back, it will be much more filled. Our state is worse, the Bible says, says than it was before. And each time it gets worse and worse. And Ellen White says that the darkness becomes more dense than it was before. The same way. Personal addictions in our lives. When addiction leaves, we overcome that addiction, but we don't fill it with God's Spirit and His presence, and we leave our house empty, it will come back with even seven more wicked spirits to come back, and our state will be worse off now than it was before. And our addictions will become even worse off. You see, most people medicate their pains, their hurts, their wounds and their depressions, they medicate the pain of their life, whether it's a broken home or whatever it may be, or broken relationships. They medicate their pain through their addictions, whatever it may be. Show me a drug addict, and I'll show you a person who comes from a broken home. Show me a glutton, and I'll show you a person who has had an abusive relationship with a spouse. Show me an angry person, and I'll show you someone who went through a lot of pains and sufferings in a hard life. Show me a sexually promiscuous person. I will show you a person who has been deeply wounded to many bad relationships. See, what these people are doing is they're medicating their pain through some type of medicating addiction. If you were to take away the medicating addiction, they would just transfer to another medicating addiction. And the problem is, we may look at the other medicating addictions such as drugs and alcohol and smoking and whatever, promiscuous sex as addictions as really negative. But as Christians, we can hide it very good. Because then we bring, when we overcome addiction, without filling our lives with Jesus, we transfer to other medicating addictions that's socially acceptable. Such as not being able to overcome the addictions of appetite and food. So it's not being able to overcome the addictions of prescription legal medication. Not being able to overcome the addictions of whatever it may be, gluttony. So Satan comes in, he throws these addictions, 
And what we need to realize is from reason, from cause to effect, and realize that the only cure for our pain, hurts, and sufferings is Jesus Christ's money. Amen? We first need to address the hurt this morning that we have experienced, and then we ought to give it to Jesus Christ. We must face the music, the reality that, yes, we've been hurt in the past, and we have to allow it to change our lives. Beloved, we must address our issues in our lives, and then we must give it over purposely to Jesus Christ. If we had a bad marriage in our past, don't just pretend it never happened. You must face it head on, grab it, and give it and kneel before the cross of Calvary and put it upon the altar of sacrifice that God may take it away as it consumes it away out of your life. The woman at the well, she was addicted to bad relationships. As she was jumping from relationship to relationship, remember Jesus asked her the questions? She said, I have seven men, I have seven men I've, I've lived with, and now the man I'm living with is not even my husband. She was medicating her pain from her past bad relationships, the wounds and the hurts, by jumping from relationship to relationship, hoping that the relationships would medicate the pain and the hurts she was feeling inside. You can't just take away an addiction. You must supply with something better. And that something better, beloved, this morning is Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. To help someone overcome the addiction of drugs is not enough. If you don't do something about it, they're going to jump to another drug. Or they're going to jump to another medication or pain. They're going to jump and jump and jump until you hit the root of the problem, which is the desire of all nations, which is Jesus Christ this morning. What happened to Christ? Turn to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. Verse 5 to 11. 5 and 11. The Bible says in Isaiah 53 verse 5. Talking about Jesus. It says, but he, Jesus, was wounded. Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And with his wounds, we are healed. Christ was wounded. But even though he was wounded, he still refused to stay wounded, beloved. In the same way, although we may become wounded, it is not okay for us to stay wounded where we are. We need to pick ourselves up and face reality, and give it to the Lord that He may deal with it, and He may change us, and restore the hurt and the pain that happened in our lives. Restore the trust and the love that we may trust once again. If you have been wounded in the past, then you should deal with it by facing up to that hurt, and giving it to the Lord. If you've been in a badly hurt in a past relationship, you need to deal with it, give it to the Lord that He may heal. Otherwise, your bad experience will be carried over into your present relationships. How you deal with your husband and the hurts and the pains that's involved in your marriage is caused because maybe you're not giving your heart totally to the Lord that you kind of give it all the way to your spouse the hurt and pain or maybe the abuse that happened when you were a child. Your father abused you physically, 
whatever it may be, emotionally. Your mother abused you. Your friends took advantage. They hurt you. They wounded you. All these wounds will come back and haunt you unless you deal with it and hit it dead on. Why will you allow some heartless person who broke your heart, who cheated on you, who had adultery with someone else while you were still seeing them or dating, why will you allow someone who hurt you 20 years ago and allow that same person who hurt you come back and hurt you again by destroying your relationship you have now with your husband or with your wife? Why will you allow that same person to still be in your marriage or in your relationship if you didn't like what he did 20 years ago or she did 20 years ago, why would you still allow those same baggage to destroy what's precious to you right now? Beloved, why don't you give it all to the Lord? Allow Him to come in so that you may attain God's desire for you for a healthy and a happy relationship, a healthy and a happy marriage, a healthy and a happy life He has for you. Look at verse 11. The Bible says, 53 verse 11. The Bible says, Jesus, he shall see of the travail, the wound of his soul, and shall be satisfied. In other words, Jesus saw the wounds he had, but he wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about you and me being saved. That's what gave him satisfaction on the cross of Calvary. He saw you and me saved on the cross. So while Jesus was wounded, he was, only, he was not only thinking about himself. He was thinking about others. For while he was wounded in his hands, he was only yearning for the hands which had accepted the 30 pieces of silver. While he was wounded in his feet, he was only concerned about the disciples who had just run away. While he was wounded in his face, he was only worried about the faces of the women who were weeping on the Via Dolorosa. And while he was wounded in his soul, he was only thinking about the soul of the thief on the cross who was longing for eternal life. In the same way we have been wounded, we shouldn't dwell upon how we've been mistreated, how we've been hurt, like we are so prone to doing, our human nature. But instead, like Christ, we should be dwelling upon how we may help those who have been wounded and hurt through this world of sin. This morning, why don't you give him all of your cares, your hurts, and your past to the Lord so that He can heal you? Why don't you let Him come into your heart so that you may be filled with the presence of the Lord this morning? This morning, why don't you give Him everything? Even the things that no one knows about. Give it all to Him that He may heal you. This is your desire. Why don't you come to Jesus?